I, uh, I was actually uh, really surprised a little bit, actually, to get the, uh, the phone call to, to speak. Um, we had, in a board meeting, uh, there had been some discussion about how to, uh, how to do some things uh, to help give Aaron a break. You know, it's been a year that he's been here, and I think in the entire year that he's been here, he's been off one Sunday. And uh, that that's a lot. That's a lot to do, and it's a lot to be responsible for. And, uh, you know, we all get to take vacations, and we just go, you know, and, and my family did a, a few weeks ago. And um, and so for, for him to be able to have some time and just, just to have that break, just to relax. And uh, so... Um, we approached that with him in a board meeting that he needed to be able to take some time and, and take a break. And his response was, okay, I'll think about that. And, uh, and so I, we, I was a little bit surprised when he called me up and he said, hey, uh, so we're going to be ending our, our series in James. And um, I would really like it if you would take a Sunday. And, uh, and over the phone, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And in my heart, I'm going, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I can do this. Uh, and, and part of the reason for that is because uh, I'm, I'm scattered. I'm all over the place. Uh, life's busy. Kids are busy. School's busy. Work's busy. And, and at the same time, um, I'm a little bit afraid of the weight of this here. Because this is, this is sacred, right? And, and God's word is sacred. And the weight of carrying that and delivering that to people, uh, it's, it's immense. And, uh, and so there was a... A nervousness, uh, and at the same time, God just, uh, he, he brought peace, and he said, yeah, do, go, do it, um, which is kind of interesting, because then I decided, all right, cool, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go, and I'm going to speak on, I don't know, uh, and I actually went down three different roads, uh, and, and kind of in the roads that, that I kind of live in and work in. Um, my favorite verse in all of the Bible is Micah 6, 8. Uh, what is it that God requires of you, O man, but that you do justice, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly before your God? And, uh, and so I was going down that road. Like, all right, we're going to talk about doing good. And we're going to talk about being just. And, and, and God's like, nope. I was like, okay, all right. So then I'm reading uh, Dennis Prager's uh, commentary on Exodus called The Rational Bible. And so I thought, okay. How about we go to Exodus? Because it's really good, and it's all about freedom, and, and God wants us to be free. And, and he works to make us free, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And I started studying, and God goes, nope, that's not where I want you. Ah, but it's where I want to be. And he's, no, 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 I need you to listen. And so I um, spent some time in prayer, spent some time in worship, and um, he hit me with something that I hadn't thought about in years which is really kind of sad, actually. And what he hit me with was Psalm 23. And so I'm going to take a crack at it. And, uh, and we're going to see what God has to tell us about Psalm 23. Before we do that, I would like to pray, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we, just, uh, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity that we can gather in your name, in your place, to study your word, to, to be in fellowship, and to bring worship before you. You are good. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I ask a blessing over today, a blessing over the ears that hear and over the words that you speak, that your word would come out and that it would be your word and not mine. Lord, I just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're actually going to put Psalm 23 up on there, and I would like to read it together. Now, this is the NASB. Uh, most of you probably have it memorized in NIV or King James, but if you would please read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we read or when we hear Psalm 23, some things come to mind almost instantly. Um, For a lot of people, and and for me in particular, the first thing that comes to mind is actually 9-11-2001 and the attack that happened on our country and and the response. And, And the reason it comes to mind is because it was the response that was so appropriate because here you have so many deaths and so much tragedy and the response is to turn to God. And you have the entire nation kind of looking at God. And that got my wheels turning. And I remembered that that's pretty much the only time we ever hear Psalm 23 is, is when death is involved. We hear it at funerals. Uh, my great-grandfather's funeral uh, was uh, probably one of the first times I heard it at a funeral. But I've heard it, at, I think, every funeral since. It's, it's the psalm that we go to in death because of the verse about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we go to it in comfort, and we go to it because, um, because we're in darkness, and, and we're in doubt, and, and, and it's the place that we can run to, except that that's not all it's about. Reminded me, I, when, I was, um, when I was young, I was in Royal Rangers, and uh, Straight Arrows was the, the, the group for kindergarten and first grade, and you could earn badges, and you earn badges by learning memory verses. And I uh, remember the fifth badge. It was the hardest badge to get. It was memorizing the entire Psalm 23 in the King James Version because Gary Rask was old school. And, uh, and, and I remember being so proud of myself for having learned it and earned the badge. But again, you just kind of tuck it away and you don't really think about it. And so I was surprised again when God brought this to mind. And what's interesting is God brought it to mind not in death or in anything that was death-related. But um, he reminded me of another radio program that I used to listen to when I was in high school. Uh, it was a, a daily program called Discover the Word. And uh, it was, uh, there, were, there were three people, Haddon Robinson, who was the president of Denver Seminary at the time, and Alice Matthews and Mark DeHaan. And they would get around and they would talk Bible. And they would just, they would just dissect Bible. And uh, there was this one section, it was about a 10 week or 10, not 10 week, but 10 segment section uh, where Mark, uh, where um, Haddon Robinson by himself went over Psalm 23. And he went over Psalm 23 from the historical perspective of shepherds in the Near East. It gave all new color to Psalm 23. And for whatever reason, when I started preparing for this, God brought that to mind. And he goes, this is where I want you to go. I want you to bring some historical context. I want you to dig into the words and what they mean. And to be honest with you, you're not going to get through the whole sum. So you're not either. Um, that's okay. Uh, what we are going to do is we are going to go through the beginning portion of the psalm. And we're going to dig a little bit. And uh, we're going to see what God has to tell us by digging specifically into the words. So um, we're going to start with 
some historical context. And uh, for those of you guys who have heard me before, you know I'm a little bit of a a teacher type. Um, And so I want to give you the historical background and context to Psalm 23. There are three very distinct views of when exactly David wrote this and why that's important. Okay. Um, There are a group of scholars who believe that David wrote this right when he was a youth as a shepherd because it's, it's all about shepherding. And, uh, and it's, it's so clear it's about shepherding that it, it had to be written right then. It was fresh. It was right in the middle of what he was doing. And he goes on to do so many other different things that that would have been the time that he wrote it. And that's a small group of, of scholars, but, but they really rely on that shepherd thing. And then there are a group of rabbinic scholars, which is kind of interesting because it's, it's not so much the, the Christian or the evangelical, but the rabbinic guys that are going, no, actually, David didn't write that when he was a shepherd because... There's too many references to things that happened later in his life. There's too many references to, uh, to the, um, the, 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 the banquet and to uh, his cup overflowing and these ideas of, of things that would have happened after he'd already seen court life. So they think, well, it was probably after he'd already had his, uh, his run-in with, Dave, or with Goliath, and it was probably already after he was a part of Saul's court and part of Saul's military. Um, so this is probably written at the time period where he's running from Saul. Saul's still alive. David's been anointed king. We have the reference to the anointing in there. So he's been anointed, but he's not king yet. Except that that doesn't work either. And most of the scholars actually agree that Psalm 23 is written between Psalm 22, 3, and 4 later in David's life. And that David was actually not just king, but he'd been king for a long time. And so that's important. It helps us understand some of the context. To give a little bit of historical background and to help you kind of understand where exactly in David's life this is at, we read in 2 Samuel that David becomes king after all of this stuff with Saul. He becomes king in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he and the Israelites take over Jerusalem. In chapter 7, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem with the tabernacle. In chapter 8, they're celebrating more victories over all of their enemies. In chapter 9, things continue to grow. Chapter 10, Bathsheba. Boom. Chapter 11 and 12, the turmoil that comes with all of that. Chapter 13, Ammon and Tamar, David's son and daughter, and David's son who rapes David's daughter. And he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't discipline. And then Absalom, his other son, rises up kills the brother, and takes over the throne in Jerusalem. And David has to flee for his life. David's an old man at this point. David is is past the covenant. God gave him the covenant when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And so David's already been promised a line that's going to go forever. And here he is. He's running for his life. And it's his own son who's trying to take over the throne. And that is when he writes this. That's when he writes Psalm 23. Why is that important? Well, because regardless of exactly when he wrote it, he's in distress. He's in distress. And it's in that time of distress that David identifies, going back in his own history, he's a sheep and God is his shepherd. Next slide. Let's take a look then at the beginning of Psalm 23, right at the very beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. He's very particular. 
He doesn't use Elohim. He doesn't use Elohenu. He doesn't use Yah, uh, um, uh, El Shaddai. He doesn't use any of the, the, the names that have qualifiers for the name of God. He also doesn't use the very common, very typical, and appropriate Hebrew word Adonai, which is the less proper name of Lord. It was the most common name used for God when they wanted to use the all-covering name, but not necessarily call him by his official name. But David doesn't do that. David actually takes the holy name of God, the I am name, right at the beginning, and he puts the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Okay? That's huge because that is, it's the God who created everything. It's the God who speaks life into everything. It is the all-powerful God who set the people free from, uh, from, from Egypt, who, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is infinite God. But if you see, there's another word in that opening line that is so critical. My shepherd. Not a shepherd, not the shepherd. It is so clear in the Hebrew, he uses my shepherd. He says, God is my shepherd. Now, David was a shepherd as a boy. David understood what it was to be a shepherd. And so when he says, God is my shepherd, he is saying, God is so personal. God is so interested in in me. The infinite God of the entire universe is infinitely interested in my well-being. Now, he'll get to the why later. God is personal, and that is absolutely critical. Now, the second part of this opening verse, I shall not want. It's actually very straightforward. It is almost exactly word for word, I shall not want. Now, there are variations of the word want in the Hebrew that that would indicate uh, I don't lack, I need nothing, I'm not deficient. But generally, it's actually pretty good as a translation, I shall not want. And that's important as well, because the construct of the sentence in Hebrew and in English can't be separated. Because God is my shepherd, therefore I am not deficient. He makes it so I'm not deficient. On my own, I'm deficient. I'm a sheep. I'm dumb. I am, I'm, I'm incapable. I cannot provide for myself. But God is all-sufficient, and because he is my shepherd, I don't have to be in need. I don't have to want. And that is a huge, huge deal. Now, what's interesting then, this is all um, preamble, really, to what it is God does that makes him a good shepherd. Um, I don't even know what slide we're on at this point. We're past this. Um, Go one more. Go back. (laughs) All right. We're actually, we'll stay here for just a second. Um, This opening verse is the preamble. It is a a fact statement that then he expounds upon. It's a fact statement that he uses 
so that he can explain now what he's going to do to his audience. The very interesting thing, though, and the irony should not be lost, David's audience is David. He didn't write it to you or me or anybody else, really. Now, God had in his own providence that we should all get to take part in that and we should get to share it. But, but when you think of David in distress, David didn't write this going, years from now, people are going to be sitting in a church somewhere else and they are going to read these words and take comfort in them. I don't think he had anything like that going through his mind. He is literally going, I'm sitting in a cave. I'm running for my life. I just need God. So David's audience is David. And that is important because David now is going to go about telling David why God is a good shepherd. And that's interesting because, like I said, David was a good shepherd. So let's go on to verse 2. In verse 2, David begins and he states what a good shepherd does. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you guys have ever been to the, the Middle East or into, um, into Israel or that area? We've got, a, we've got one, two. Okay. Um, I've never been. I want to go. And so I've studied it over and over, and, and, and I, I've tried to become familiar with the geography and the territory. Uh, and what I've discovered is that it's pretty much a desert. There's not a lot that grows there. And it's been that way for a very, very long time. So what is a green pasture doing in the Middle East? Well, there aren't, they aren't very common. They're not typical. But what they are are the rare places where you have plenty. They're the rare places where, where there is lots of provision, where there's lots to enjoy, lots to have. Um, and they're the places that a good shepherd will take his sheep. He will take them into these places of plenty, and he will take them into these places, really places of rest, and allow them to graze and allow them to enjoy and really allow sheep to do what sheep do. It's, it's, it's sheep's work. Uh, sheep graze. It's what they do. Sheep graze and produce wool. That's pretty much it. Um, President Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, first Roosevelt, uh, he was actually uh, pretty smart. He decided he needed to take care of the White House lawn. He hired a bunch of sheep parked the sheep on the White House lawn, and they took care of the lawn for him. They provided all of the cutting and all of the fertilizing and all of the trampling down. They did a great job. That is sheep's work. That is what we do. We, we, just, we just do right what's in front of us to do, right? And that's great because that's where God takes us, and we need it, and especially in a place that is so desert. We need to be able to get to places that are places of plenty. But here's what's interesting. Hit the next slide for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures because we're stubborn. We don't like to do nothing. We don't like to take that rest. I have a dog, just a little terrier, schnauzer dog. And uh, for some of you who have been over to my house, you know that when Molly is up and moving, Molly does not lay down. She will not lay down. You cannot command her to lay down. She will not lay down. What do you have to do? You have to take her and actually physically press her to the ground. And then she'll rest. So I was doing research into this. What I found out was that that is normal practice for a shepherd. Because sheep are agitated, easily scared. Because sheep like to overeat, which I'm guilty of. Uh, they will keep eating and grazing and moving they will stay in that green pasture and they will eat it bare. They will just keep moving. 
even if they're tired, even if they've traveled miles, they won't rest until the shepherd comes and presses them down. And the Hebrew here is absolutely not confused. It says he makes them lie down. There are going to be times in your life where God is actually going to stop you from the good work he has put in front of you to do, and he's going to make you lay down. Sometimes that is as simple as saying to your pastor, take a break, you need a week. (laughs) Sometimes it's having to go for surgery that you didn't plan on because God is saying it's time to slow down. Sometimes it's, it's another friend or another person having to go through some major something and you just need to be the one to go sit with them and hold their hand while they're going through it because they can't do it on their own and they just need presence. God is going to bring into your life opportunities to rest, opportunities for plenty, opportunities for blessing. When he does, be ready for him to move you in a direction. Be ready for him to take action in you to make you do what he needs you to do. In the next verse, in verse 3, he leads me beside still waters. Again, the Middle East, it's a desert. What do still waters do in a desert? They dry up. They don't stay. That's a problem when you're a shepherd, because sheep do not drink from moving water. They're terrified of moving water. Why are they terrified of moving water? Well, because one, they're already skittish animals. They're already easily agitated. But what else? Well, they grow wool, really heavy wool, and they grow it everywhere, all the way up and around their faces. And if they get wet, it gets heavy. And when it gets heavy, they fall forward. And if they fall too far forward, they will fall in and float away. That's a problem, right? So what does a good shepherd do? Well, first he leads his animals by raging waters, because that's all there is. It's in big rivers in one place, and you take them to that place. And what do you do then? You carve out in the dirt. You move the rocks. You, you move the, uh, the wood to create a dammed-off area where water then swirls back in and creates a calm pool. And a good shepherd will actually do that work. A good shepherd will actually go out into the river, move those rocks, and create that space so that his sheep can come in and get their drink and be refreshed. He knows that there's no other way that they're going to do it, and he knows that there's no other place they're going to do it. And so God may rush you by raging waters of resources, raging times of of exactly what you need, but not in a way that you're going to be able to get it. And you have to wait for him to actually go and do the work of moving those resources into the right place in the right way so that you can go in and drink. The quiet waters are created by him. They're not just there. He didn't just take you. He took you and he made it. Learning to rely on him is so difficult sometimes. Um, I'll tell you, you, you try to stick your face in the water sometimes. It's like trying to drink out of a fire hose. And uh, so we, again, have to wait and be patient. Wait for God to do what he's going to do. Wait for him to create the environment of refreshing. Now, the next verse, he restores my soul. I loved this verse as a kid. 
because I could literally feel this breathe. Oh, God's giving me that soul hug. He restores my soul. Uh, I know my, my great-grandmother, she, she would, it would I, a couple of times had referenced this and, and restoring her soul and how it was, it was like the spirit breath. <laughs> Take this big breath in and just, you knew God was holding you. Funny thing, though, that's not the Hebrew word. It's not. That comes later. That's actually in the last half of the book of Psalm, or in the, in the Psalm. This word here is, uh, is actually, uh, if you go ahead and hit it, this is the word shub. And the word shub means to bring back, to return. So it's interesting that we use the word restore. Were we talking about restoration like, oh, peace, I'm being hugged? Or are we talking about restore like retrieve and restore to bring back? In Matthew, Jesus is talking to uh, his disciples, and he says, the shepherd, the good shepherd, when he calls his sheep into the pen and he finds that one is missing, he will leave the 99 and go find the one. And the word he uses is he'll bring them back. And the word while he's using is Greek, says the similar connotation to the word here, shub, which is restore. He goes to find us no matter where we go. See, every sheep, according to everything I've read about sheep in the last couple of weeks, sheep wander. They wander. And something catches their eye and they go. Shiny things catch their eye. Shiny things in particular catch their eye. And they go. They're going to go find out what it is. And they wander off. And, and shepherds are aware of that. And shepherds are even kind of used to that. They know they wander off. What's interesting is um, I was reading a, uh, I was <laughs> reading kind of a, a little synopsis of, of some of the, the, the practices of, of shepherd and realized that they kind of get to know their sheep and they know the ones that tend to wander more than the others, but they expect that all of them are going to wander and they call them by name and they really do actually call them by name and they, they get them into the pen and, and, and when there's that one that wanders off, they will go find that one and bring him back. And that's great. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew. What's interesting is David used the word shub. Again, super important. Nine out of ten times that the word shub is used in Hebrew in the Bible, it does mean to restore, to uh, return, to bring back, to, to um, well, eight and ten times. One in ten times, the word is actually used differently. It's used for discipline. Restraint, to avert, to punish. That's very interesting. God chose the word shub here because sometimes he has to restrain us. Now, I was reading in this same text about the shepherds and their practice. There is a practice that the Near Eastern shepherds, unfortunately, had to do. When a sheep in their fold regularly wandered off, routinely wandered off, wandered off over and over into dangerous places, the shepherd would always go find them and bring them back. But at a certain point, the shepherd recognized the danger that that sheep posed to itself and that the sheep 
didn't trust the shepherd, couldn't trust the shepherd, wouldn't trust the shepherd, whatever. And so the shepherd does what seems unthinkable, and he breaks the leg. He doesn't break the leg so that the sheep dies. The whole point that the shepherd here is to break the leg so that he can retrain and, and groom that sheep back into his fold. So he breaks the leg, and then he repairs it. But for a while, that sheep can't walk. And so for a while, that shepherd carries that sheep on his shoulder. He's done the damage. But now he's committed to doing the work to restore that sheep. He will carry that sheep everywhere he goes. And that sheep will understand what it is to be comforted and carried by the shepherd. That sheep, when it does begin to walk, won't wander anymore. He'll stay close. And he'll stay close because he knows he really can't do it on his own. He, he gets trained out of wandering off. And later on, when the splint comes off, that sheep will have the ability to go anywhere. But they tend to be the ones that stay right next to the shepherd. What's interesting about this is David again chooses this word. Knowing the connotation, knowing what he's done as a shepherd, and knowing how God has done it in him. He's a wanderer, and he knows it. He strays, and he knows it. He goes off and he does these things that he knows he shouldn't do. And God does eventually break him. In this moment where he's running from Absalom, and God basically takes his son. It's the second time. He takes his son. What's interesting, though, is the word also means one in ten times. Redeem. Restore. To recreate to renew. God's promise still exists for David. The covenant is still there. And there's already a son who will sit on the throne. There's already a son who will go all the way to the line of Jesus. There's already Solomon. It's it's already in the works. And David here, he experiences it as the sheep. But he knows that God's going to restore it. And that's so big, and it's so good. Why does the shepherd do all of this? Well, um, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Next slide. Once the sheep is restored, or when the sheep doesn't need to be restored, the shepherd leads his flock down paths of righteousness. And again, the word here, righteousness is exactly the right word. And it's interesting because it's actually one of the first times where instead of a metaphor word that can actually go in multiple directions, it is just the word righteousness. It's interesting because, again, in in the the territory that they're in, in the Middle East, um, there are pathways that are carved into the rocks all over, you know, you get game trails and sheep trails and people trails and whatever. Um, and, and if you've been in, in church for any period of time, you know that there are also those, those roads that are the wilderness roads. You go down the wilderness roads and you may get hit by a bunch of bandits or you may get attacked by wolves or, you, you know, whatever. Paths were not always good paths. <laughs> paths were there uh, and sheep were 
tended to follow them, but it didn't mean they were good things on the other side of that path. So the shepherd doesn't just know his sheep. The shepherd knows the terrain. He knows where the good paths are. He knows where the paths will take you to green pastures. And he knows where the paths that'll take you to quiet waters. And he knows the paths not to go down. And so he leads in paths of righteousness and right behavior and right doing and right thinking. And this is where that Micah 6, 8 comes back in. What does God want for you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? This is where God leads us into covenant behavior. This is where he leads us into good actions. And why does he do all of these things? And that's the last. For his name's sake. That's the reason. For his name's sake. He's the good shepherd. I am just a sheep. He's the good shepherd. All the way back at the beginning, he uses the word Yahweh, the name of God. In John chapter 10, Jesus is addressing a bunch of Pharisees. He's talking to a whole group of people. And uh, I love the book of John for this because John doesn't mince any words. Jesus is standing there, and he says to the Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. Now, what shepherd do you think they thought of when they heard Jesus say that? David. The son of David. The promised son of David. And what did they think of Psalm 23? I'm I'm positive they did. Because the funny thing is, Jesus actually says it twice, as if for emphasis. And even better than that, he does it in a way that basically says, I'm not just the good shepherd, I'm the I am. I'm God. I'm Yahweh. And I will do whatever it takes for you. And it's in that section where Jesus says it's the good shepherd that doesn't just do the good shepherd work, but he's the one who will lay his life down for you to restore That's huge. It's so big. It's so good. And it's all for his namesake. We benefit from it. We we live in it. We bask in it. But it's for his glory. So, worship team, if you guys want to come up. um, God is good. And uh, we get to benefit from God being good. And um, as hard and complicated as it can be sometimes to hear that God will actually do things to change your environment or that he will do things to impact you personally, that he may even discipline you to the point of breaking before he restores you. The promise is he will restore you. He will restore you. He will bring you back to him because you are his sheep. And he will do it for his glory. And what that means is it's a promise. It's a a, a promise as profound as his own name because, because it's tied to it. So I encourage you guys today, as, uh, as John leads, think on how God is or can or, or does or should restore you right now. Um,
What are the things you've got to let go of? What are the things you've got to put into uh, his hands? What are the things you need to walk away from? What are the things that you need to um, to allow him to change? Because that's the other thing. You're not going to change it on your own. He's got to change it. You're not going to do the work. You can't. He's got to do it. Now, you have some in this because you are sheep. You have a little bit of will. You can run. You can try to get away. The awesome thing is he's your shepherd and he's going to come find you. Are you going to make it easy and let him do it? Are you going to trust him and let him do it? You're going to run. Either way, it's going to be done. I just encourage you this morning to allow yourself to be restored. <laughs> Maybe the easy way. <laughs> allow yourself to be brought back in. And for those of you who don't need to be brought back in, bask in his presence. Bask in the goodness of God, in the blessing of God. Bask in this time of peace and restoring and refreshing because he's good. <laughs>